0: Welcome to a new year. Ah, yes, a new year! And season four of the Disorderly Blonde's Autism Podcast. This is Brenda. I am mommy to Dylan, who is 18 and on the autism spectrum, and to Oliver, who is 11 and has a CHRNA7 duplication, apraxia speech, hypotonia, and a new epilepsy diagnosis. Never a dull moment around here, guaranteed. Brenda, that's quite the mouthful. Hi. <laughs> boy mom to JR,
1: who is 16 and on the autism spectrum, and Jackson, who's 13 and on my last nerve. Is
0: it happy hour yet? It's (laughs) always happy hour. Shut up. (laughs) We have a very exciting episode for you today. Our guest, Dr. David Berger, is a board-certified pediatrician with over 20 years of experience. He has developed a national reputation in holistic pediatric primary care, nutritional and detoxification therapies, and for autism, ADHD, and related disorders, and um, immune dysregulation, such as allergies, asthma, and autoimmune disorders, and also treats adults with these medical conditions. Welcome, Dr. Berger. We are so happy to have you with us today. Woo!
2: Thank you very much. And although I have very um, dark hair now, I was actually born um, a blonde, and uh, you know, and I do have ADD, so maybe I kind of do fall under the category of being a disorderly blonde, so who knows?
1: Oh, my gosh this is the best news ever <laughs> it's funny so many of our interviewees just so happen to be blonde like our first season we're like okay when is it going to happen who's going to break this seal but we're, we're we're grandfathering you in there you go
2: thank you i appreciate that i i have, i do have my mom has the photos to prove it
1: uh, i i see those <laughs> well dr berger as you know you were born and raised a blonde in south florida Graduated from graduated from the medical college of pennsylvania Did your pediatric residency at the University of South Florida Tampa General, where you began using holistic therapies? Thank you. We Mm -hmm. feel, Brendan, I feel like a lot of medical students initially tend to follow a more mainstream approach. It's definitely not the norm. Why be normal Mm -hmm. to follow an alternative path? Why did you pursue holistic avenues from the get-go and what triggered that path?
2: Thank you. Well... Um, being as somebody who, um, had always, um, since college days taken a little bit more of an alternative lifestyle, probably stemming around from my original following the Grateful Dead, um, through um, the last five years of Jerry Garcia's life, um, and getting to see 48 Dead shows during my day. Um, I was able to see a much broader world and a world of people who are looking at things from an alternative perspective in the first place. Um. I started having some patients and some friends who were having kids who were asking me some more natural questions um, during my residency at Tampa General. And I had always felt that as a pediatrician, my primary issue job to know what everybody's trying to do, wanting to do, answer as many questions as possible, kind of be as broad minded. Halfway through my residency at Tampa General, an an, an, uh, article came out in our journal called Contemporary Pediatrics, and it was from a Dr. Kathy Kemper who... um, had an article and called "The Holistic Pediatrician: Every Seven Herbs Every Pediatrician Should Know About." Now it just so happens that the journal, the one of the chief editors, was the person who founded USF Pediatrics. And so when I had read through this, um, and at the time she had been at University of Washington, she had just been hired at Harvard, which actually started the first holistic pediatric subsection at medical, at, in, in a medical university. Um, and I had asked the department, I'm like, hey, can I utilize some of these herbs that are listed in here? And they said, hey, if it's in Contemporary Pediatrics, that's our home journal. So yeah, anything in Contemporary Pediatrics is fair game. So I started just basic stuff: echinacea, golden seal, feverfew um, for headaches, and, and uh, and word kind of got out into the community that I that there was this doctor who, with the blessing of the department, was doing this. So next thing I know, I, you know, and, and usually at medical schools and residencies, you see mostly underserved populations, Medicaid populations. And then lo and behold, we started getting patients from, you know, insurance, you know, carrying people. And then all of a sudden started bringing some extra revenue for the department, which was kind of nice also. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so um, I went from there and, you know, was very comfortable using that and kind of, that there was more that we needed to be understanding so I left my um Tampa General in 97 and went to my first job in in pediatrics in um and I was very open with what I was doing with them and um within 10 months I was canned um and uh you know that you know, I was causing too much ca- too much chaos for the practice um I mean and literally some of the issues were things such as um you know, you keep on telling patients not to use um, antibiotics for viral infections, and we know that that's what they're teaching now is. But we're used to giving antibiotics, and so it's really tough when you explain to a patient why it's wrong for them to take an antibiotic. Because then, when we do prescribe it for them, then they're like, "Why are you telling me to do something?" Doctor Berger said that that's the wrong thing to do, and I guess it started developing a loss of confidence in those doctors. And my philosophy was, well, you're telling me that what I'm doing is the right thing, and so why aren't you the one conforming to this? Um, and uh, and also the fact that, you know, I had, you know, from a very early on, I have always been a believer that our main job is to educate people about risks and benefits of something. And... Um, but ultimately it's up to the patient and the family to decide what's in their best medical interest. Um, and so I, st- because of my openness in working with, um, you know, families with autism started finding me, um, working on some basics of, hey, we heard about this stool test for yeast and this urine organic acid test. Will you order it for us? Of which my answer was, well, I know how to write for fluconazole, that's easy. you know. And sure, I mean, we'll learn together. And uh, as those families started coming, then I started getting families who were telling me about, um, about regressions being seen after vaccines. And they're not comfortable with giving their kid another one or a sibling. And again, when they laid it out in front of me and like, of course, you know, since unfortunately there's been so little good research on that topic, um, I kind of felt, well, if the family has come to this decision, you know, we, I think we need to respect where they're coming from. You know, I mean, I want to know what they're, what information that they're using. I mean, sometimes people would bring out like a book like Shot in the Dark that was written in the mid '70s. I'm like, well, we don't really give those vaccines anymore. Or, you know, later in my career, once mercury was taken out of the vaccines, and people would self-concern. I'm like, oh, I mean, I hear your concerns, but if your concern is mercury. That's not a thing anymore. Um, so I always, but I, I always feel that an educated person who's looking at the at different sides of a story, if they come to a conclusion that this is what's in the best interest of their child, even if it may not be what's in the best interest for society of a whole, and when the medical community is trying to take care of 30, 330 million people, you know, I distinguish there's a difference between public healthcare policy, which is taking care of all of us versus private healthcare policy, which is taking care of one person or one family. And many times those cross over, but sometimes they do not. And so, um, so I started, you know, if a per- family said to me, and I would document in the chart and everything like that. And it turned out that the practice also had a no vaccination, no enter the door policy. And that I think was probably the, although they didn't say this, I think that that was probably the, the the straw that broke the camel's back for that. Um, But there was another, this was in Palm beach and there was another um, main pediatric group there who um, they had already had a doctor there who was doing some homeopathy and some herbal things. And so they asked me to join the, the lead, the lead partner was actually one who was always comfortable. You know, if a family doesn't want to vaccinate, that's their call and uh you know he ended up seeing pretty much every chiropractor's kid in the county by that point um but you know he, but he said you know I, I could definitely use some help with this you know i guess like to tell you the truth you know i'd rather give them all to you <laughs> you know and so uh, and so but but they they fostered me and they allowed me to start really delving into this stuff they you know I, I started working with families with autism i would make it at the end of the day because they were longer patients but then they would say you know you can be seeing four other patients with, during this time so here's a proposal we suggest that you open up your own practice, use our office. You can use our conference. You can use our filing system. You can use everything else, take our files, but start seeing patients on your own here while you can, so you can still see that. And they let me use it all. So it was amazing that here was this other very mainstream group who, instead of trying to shut me down, was, was very comfortable fostering and letting me grow. And so that was really kind of what it was. And then I had the opportunity soon after that to do it as a full-time thing um, with a friend of mine from high school down in Miami. And so we, we opened that up, and that's how we started. And then I had the opportunity several years later to move to Tampa. And then that's when we opened up Holistic Pediatrics, which then became Holistic Pediatrics and Family Care. After parents and grandparents asked if I would be their doctor, and after much pushback of saying, But I'm a kid's doctor, you want me to see you? And they were like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Well, that's your call. Just understand that I'm at any point, as long as I'm allowed to pull the pediatric card out and say, that's an adult subject, you know, but at the same time, humans are humans. Physiology and anatomy are anatomy and physiology. And so, sure, let's work this out together. That's how we became Holistic Pediatrics and Family Care.
1: So, Dr. Berger, burning question because yes. you're so known to be so caring and, and enthusiastic and passionate about those with autism. Is there any um, connection to autism, um, you know, in your family or friends or anything that kind of drew you in besides just this demand?
2: No, no. um, You know, my my son who was born with a – who who we had – I mean, Benjamin, who was born five years after I started doing this, um, we do not know why he had a brain hemorrhage during birth. And because – and with that, he – he ended up having brain surgery at, at four weeks old and he had 10 before he was a year old and so that definitely left us with a special needs child with a lot of delays communication was never an issue for him but you know physical development and a lot of sensory issues and so you know he, he has subsequently been diagnosed in high school um with high functioning autism by the criteria of it but you know it's like you know we know some people have an under an, under, an underlying medical metabolic issue or medical issue or neurological issue so you know i, I you know i do see a lot of my sensory issues and and ADD in him and I just think that um all from all of that time and everything that he had to go through I think may have been this kind of like pushed him a little further than where where I was at but he's doing great um but but yeah but in terms of my early starts it was just I'm a pediatrician and my goal is to take care of kids and my goal is to be open to hearing what people have to say and that's really how it got started. Awesome.
0: Um, As you mentioned, you have been in practice since 1997 and an advanced practitioner of biomedical therapies, advocating for the Autism Research Institute philosophy since 1999. In 2005, uh, as you said, you finally opened your practice um, in Tampa. And personally, I am very familiar with the ARI philosophy, the former DAN protocol. Um, Dylan started the holistic approach around 2005, um, almost immediately after diagnosis. And I feel like I almost missed you because I used to go to the doctor down in Miami Beach um so i feel like we just missed paths when um when we started there um yeah what wanted to know was can you explain the philosophy the philosophy behind ari and to discuss how you integrate that with conventional medicine
2: absolutely so i i think if we were to maybe con- say it in just a few words it's root cause okay w- you know why is this happening in the first place? Okay. And like, you know, I kind of, I started like the one analogy that I make is like a kid who has ADD and even if they do remarkably well on Ritalin, it's not because they have a Ritalin deficiency. OK, what is happening in their body that's making them need to take a medication in the first place? So kind of, you know, the, the, the gut brain connection was really the first thing that I was keyed into on regarding both healthy foods when we were learning about the casein gluten free diet, the role of candida, clostridia, the microbiome as a whole, as that whole thing has grown. Um, and so that was kind of like, a, you know, certainly an initial thing. So, you know, but I almost like put it into it even a simpler. If there's too much of something, lower it. If there's not enough of something, increase it. You know, and so when we start doing our tests for vitamin D, for zinc, for iron, when we start looking at the methylation pathway, if you have an MTHFR mutation and you cannot activate folate to methylfolate, take methylfolate. Um, you know, if there is a pathogen growing in your intestine, get rid of it. So that was really kind of like where the core of all of this came, and we've just built knowledge over time. You know, we 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 had learned pretty early on by about ninety nine two thousand about the um, the role of methylation and MTHFR and what was happening with um, heavy metal toxicity. And you know, when I st- you know, when I kind of took the approach, well, if you don't look, you're not going to find. Okay. And then when I would start doing single dose chelation challenge tests with pre versus post urine, and if I saw no metals in the urine before and 24 hours later, I'm seeing mercury and or lead or arsenic or those things. And I'm assuming that the patient didn't eat a sharp and mercury sandwich, then, you know, something happened there. We gave them something that's supposed to remove it from their body and it did. So, and the cool thing about that is that you not only proved that the kid had the metals, but you had the treatment to then fix it, which was kind of neat. Um, and so, you know, that was really kind of like some of the earlier starts. And then just kind of as I've gone along, you know, over the years, I have learned more from parents than I have from any other doctors, conferences, or anything else like that. So, uh, I, you know, I always encourage parents, bring, bring something to the table for me. I'll, I'll tell every first appointment, I'll tell the patient, anything that you hear about, read about, dream about, divine intervention, meditation, or otherwise, if you think it's going to help your kid, even if it sounds kooky, I want to hear about it. I've had, I had in, in the very first, you know, what really, this is, again, this is going back 17 years. I had this mom who, when I told her this, she came back next to me she says, you know, I had this dream twice this week about vitamin B2. She's like, I don't even know what that stuff is. I see it on cereal boxes, but you told me to tell you. And I went through all of the oat. I went through everything. There was not a single lick of any evidence that the kid should take extra vitamin B2. But then I, one question we always ask ourselves, what's the risk versus benefit of doing something? Okay. And I said to myself, what's the risk of giving this kid vitamin B2? Well, the answer was a big fat nothing. Right. So I said, okay, well, I can't say it's going to work, but I'm not worried about hurting somebody. Let's give it a try. Turned out to be the best thing we ever did for that kid. The patient was a patient for over two years at that point. And it was the best thing we ever did. I still have no scientific reason as to why, but I'm sure glad that she mentioned it. so that's kind of
0: mommy's no best a lot of times
2: well that's the way I look at it I mean I you know I figure you guys have a woman's been tethered to their child for nine and a half months you kind of get a little connection that way but you know I tell people I'll take my wife's my wife's instinct I mean I have good medical instincts I'll take my wife's instincts for my kids over my instincts any day of the year
1: yeah so Dr. Berger, for those um, of our listeners who we're trying to reach, who are just meeting you, they're already in love with you because you're so charismatic, so amazing, but you may have been throwing out like nine or 10 or 19 terms that are very new to them, okay. which is fine, which is great. We, we know, and they're going to learn so much from watching and through our show notes, but it to put what you just said in a nutshell, which is impossible because you're mm-hmm. amazing. But what what I want to kind of let parents know is, or ask you, why is early intervention and a methodical treatment of the whole child so important, especially for our listeners' parents whose kids are probably likely on the spectrum?
2: Sure, absolutely. Um, Obviously, first and foremost, early intervention is key because of of how children develop, Okay, It's not an on-off switch. You know, it's not like you go up, you buy a car the first day and it's supposed to work at its best. Okay. Yes, you should keep, you know you should do checkups on a reg- and tune-ups on a regular basis and, and deal with things before you got a clunker. But in human development, that you know there there is a progression. So the sooner that you find it, the more the sooner that you can allow the normal rate of development to hopefully occur. So you know when I tell a family who comes in with a child with who's three years old with autism who's functioning at a 12 month level or a 50 month level. What I tell them is, you know, yes, it would be great if by six months from now that he's completely caught up. I say, don't expect that. What I want you to see, hopefully, is does your child gain six months of skills over the next six months? Does your child gain 12 months of skills over the next 12 months? Very obvious when a three-year-old has the communication skills of a one-year-old. Not so obvious when a 13-year-old has the communication skills of an 11-year-old. So if if I can obtain that, so the earlier we intercede... Um, from that perspective, the better chance that we have to kind of get things going for as long as possible. But also, let's face it, we're all set in our ways, whether it's us as a parent and how we treat our kid, or the kid themselves, we're all creatures of habit. And so how much of this, not that it's necessary, in, in that, it's, um, that it was something that they were born to, but if a, if a person is doing X behavior for a period of time, there's a good chance it may take longer to get out of that behavior, because that's just what they're used to doing as well. But in my experience, you know, I mean, and, and that doesn't mean that I, I mean, I've seen teenagers and adults with autism who have made remarkable, remarkable improvements. If you gave me a choice of having a, you know, most, you know, all the kids being under three and catching them then I would love to, but any step along the way, I mean, just like we help adults with, with anxiety and with ticks and with um, with attention deficit. And it's the same philosophy, you know, just change the alphabet soup diagnosis around and it's all the same, you know? And so, um, and so that's, that's, so that's really why it's important. And then of course, we want to try and get as much corrected as we can before they start school. You know, we want to be able to get them in the highest functioning class possible. You know, I always tell a parents, shoot for the stars, put your kid in a higher class that you think there's any chance that they can get into. It's always easy. It's not too difficult to lower them down if they're not going to be successful. It's harder to, get, to move them up, if, especially if the other kids have already accelerated at a certain pace. But I want to get in there. And then, you know, obviously, get, you know, I look at the biomedical approach as pulling up speed bumps so that things can move faster. But I also look at all of the therapies as the path itself to recovery. But, you know, again, and, and it's great if a kid's showing, you know, three months worth of skills um, on, on a yearly basis and a therapy gets them to six months. Great. If I get them to nine months, even better. So I, I do look at the two hand in hand. You know, when people say, oh, should I just do one? Should I just do the other? I would say, no, If the, the best chance of success is doing both.
0: If you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. Child we with know this, this. Right. You know this. You know this. Still, given the, given the extensive time you have spent with um, our children on the spectrum, we are curious to know what are some of the similarities that stand out in the majority of the cases. So, for example, deficiencies, as you mentioned, in vitamin D, thion gut issues—that you are never surprised to find that yet another child on the spectrum has the same thing.
2: Yeah, um, yes, and yes, um, mm-hmm. you know, but also there's the uniqueness of them all too. You know, so by the time of my second appointment. I don't know that I have any two children who are on the exact same protocol. Okay. So there are similarities, but of course there's those differences, but we can identify them. You know, certainly am I seeing, um, you know, in all honesty, as much as I'm seeing for abnormal MTHFR, and for those who don't know, this Mm -hmm. is the enzyme that activates folate, turns it into methylfolate. It's it's dictated by a gene. So all of the proteins in our body get there, the enzymes of our body get there based upon reading our genetic code, Convert their genetic code gets read into it's called messenger RNA, which we're hearing a little bit more in the news these days about. Um, and then, um, and then that and the mRNA is turned into proteins, whether it's to build muscles or enzymes. Okay. If there's a single DNA switch in that code, it can make an enzyme that doesn't work functionally as well as it normally would. Okay. So, in the case of this MTHFR, if your body can't take folate and turn it into methylfolate, take methylfolate. Now, I am finding even more likely abnormalities, though, in another one called MTRR, which is a same type of reaction, but for vitamin B12. MTRR takes B12, turns it into methyl B12. If you're having difficulty with that connection, take methyl B12. You know, and so so we actually, I use a, a test panel called the Max Function from a laboratory called Maximize Genetics. And it tells us about 70 different genetic markers that are all in this kind of realm. Every single thing that's abnormal, that can be abnormal, it's all natural. There's no pharmacological discussion anywhere in it. But pretty much anything that's an abnormality, like that there's something you can do to make that enzyme work better. Sometimes um, it may be that, you, that there's an enzyme called cystothione beta synthase, C- CBS. And CBS, um, even if there's a mutation there, if there's a good amount of vitamin B6 present, it seems as if it works better. Okay. Vitamin B6 happened to be the very first nutritional, um, supplement that was found to help children with autism. This dates back to the seventies. Okay. Now we think we know why, why maybe does it help some people, but not the other. Maybe it was because the people who didn't help had the gene right in the first place and didn't need the extra B6. You know, it's a challenge though, because we can't get anybody to research this because who's going to research, take vitamin B6. Cause let's face it, what drives research in this country money, right? Who's going to patent it? Who's going to make a buck off of it? Um, mm-hmm. That's the way it goes, you know? And so I don't know that we're ever going to see the type of research that's truly needed in order to get the breakthroughs that we need to, and for a a lot of people to believe it, right? Because, you know, there's certainly going to be doctors out there that says, okay, show me in a study. Right. And I can say, oh, I can show you in 20 years of experience. Want to talk to a mom? Yeah, but that's not going to be the same level of evidence as show me in a study. Okay. So that's one of the inherent uh, challenges that we have um, in our community is being able to get other buy-in unless you've seen it yourself.
0: And no. for the record, both of, sorry, sorry, for the record, both of my kids uh, have an MTHFR mutation. So yeah. There's
2: yeah.
0: that. <laughs> there
1: you go. So Dr. Berger, like anything in medicine, we know once kids are treated from the inside out, they're just masking their symptoms. They tend to focus more, improve cognitively, and just in their overall general development.
0: How do you
1: feel about the terms recovery or cure when it comes to osteoporosis? Autism. Do you believe recovery or curing is possible, or does it give parents false
2: hope? Okay, I'm more comfortable with the word recovery than I am with the word cure. Okay. Um, I have children who are patients of mine through the years on the spectrum who are now indistinguishable from from their tip, from their from their peers. Do some of them have some residual ADD? Do some of them have some residual anxiety that needs to be dealt with? But in terms, you know. The word that I, when I describe myself best as a physician is functional, functional medicine. Okay. And that really comes down to how are you functioning or not functioning and how can we address those? Okay. But I have kids who were absolutely told when they were toddlers, you know, start saving up so you can find an institution when they're graduating or when they're, when they're, when they're 18, who are now successful in college you know, we're in grad school now, you know, and, you know, you would never know in a million years that this was a person, I mean, we have the video evidence to show it, um, that, you know, so we see that, so we, we, and so that's how I say the word recovered. To me, recovered is to be a functional member of society, you know, and, and that's kind of how I want to look at it, but I've never used the word cure, um, you know, I know that, um, you know, part of the reason why defeat autism now lost the word defeat is kind of, it seemed like, are we trying to defeat autism? Are we trying to improve the lives of autism and maximize it? And that was a very fair question. Plus the fact that the Divers Action Network actually sued us for the initials D-A-N, because once we started using <laughs> hyperbaric chambers to treat, they felt, well, that has to do with scuba diving. And and we just figured that we weren't going to um, fight that in court because they sued us for that. So we, so we said, we said, I guess, guess you have to drop the name Dan. And so when we were actually thinking of another name and as you know, we came with maps, uh, but, but, um, Dan, I, you know, I kind of came up with the well, why don't we just turn the letters around to NAD and just call it not another diet, you know, for, um, you know, <laughs> since so many of us have gone through the dietary of, uh, you know, roller coaster of all the different diets of, you know, I, I think it's interesting that if one tried to do all the diets that we have heard has been helpful for people with autism, we're stuck with water, you know? And so, um, you know, so I just thought that was kind of a cute way <laughs> Just turn the letters around. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, but, but can we see significant improvements that kids can be successful in school with minimal aid, with minimal, um, you know, extra services necessary? I've seen it. So what happens? Why it's not everybody? That's what sometimes keeps me up at night. You know, what, what am I missing in this kid that I was able to do to the other? What, I'm, I've got to be missing something. I've got to be, you know, and so, you know, I will tell parents, you know, even if I don't have the answer for you now, you may want to check in with me in a year or two. Because you never know what the next great um, discovery was, you know, and we continue to see that now, you know, as we've started to learn more about mitochondria, which was not part of the, um, which was not part of the discussion. Now, as we're talking about anti-inflammatory diets and not just a case in a gluten-free diet, but what causes inflammation in the gut besides the infection? We know that there's other things. So when we start talking about GAPS diets and body ecology diets, those that are aimed to optimize the flora the pH. We know that what happens in the gut affects everywhere else. Mm -hmm. So we're learning as we go. I know a lot more now than I did five years ago. God willing, I will know a lot more in five years from now.
0: Mm -hmm. Hmm. On your blog, you periodically update your recommendations on what to do at first sign of sickness. Such a useful document. And I, I love that. You even added a new one on the coronavirus respiratory virus information and treatment recommendations. I highly recommend to our listeners checking those out. When it comes to raising a healthy child in a toxic world, can you share a few tips for parents of newly diagnosed kids on simple things they can do or things that they could stop doing right away in their daily lives to improve some of the very limiting effects that go hand in hand with autism?
2: Certainly. Well, I do believe that, um, and you know, one of the things that, and one of my big projects that I've been working on for a while is our preconception to infancy project, okay? Mm -hmm. So ideally, I would love to get families before they conceive in the first place and get the mom's nutrition, you know, dad, yeah, he gives one really important cell, but it's just one mom's going to be the incubator. Um, so, you know, ideally, I want to address this before a baby is conceived and during pregnancy and the importance of breastfeeding and not having C section so that we can avoid um, it, as much as possible um, or, uh, the baby can get the flora as they pass through the vaginal canal, which becomes the birth, you know, the, the gut flora. You know, I tell people that if you're um, going to have to do a C section and people get kind of weirded out until I explain it better. After your baby's born, take your vaginal juices and give it to your baby. You know, people get grossed out by them. I'm like, how is that any different than when the baby was passing through in the first place? If it would have been vaginal delivery, your baby would have got that. Um, so try to set, set things right to begin with. And we know the importance of breastfeeding, um, you know, the importance of how we bring in foods. And, you know, the you know, I don't bring in grains when I when it's time for baby foods. I start talking about fruits and vegetables and proteins and, you know, and really don't find much use for um, for a lot of carbs. You know, you need some, obviously. But, you know, how many kids just get stuck on cereals and carb, 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 and that's not so great. So, again, setting the gut right, setting the diet right, getting the nutrition. So I'm focusing on moms when they're nursing on making sure their vitamin D levels and their zinc levels are optimized and that they're in that, you know, and and, the, and then as every baby becomes, as they're turning nine, at nine months old, I order a lead, uh, a, besides a lead level, I order a zinc level, I order a vitamin D level, this methylation MTHFR pathway that I was talking about. And I correct those things by the time they're one year old. And so that's that, that really, I find sets a very found, strong foundation. And the amazing thing about it is, again, it's not just about autism. I know that in most pediatric practices, ear infections are a rite of passage. If a child in our practice has one ear infection, that's a lot. And we probably only have had you know, a handful of kids who have gone through it, but the average um, the, uh, number of ear infections of patients in our practice is zero. It's not a rite of passage. We do not see patients developing in anywhere near the types of numbers of, of um, allergies and asthma, autoimmune diseases. Have not had a single kid? You know, I've been a pediatrician for 18 years. Not a single child has developed childhood cancer that I'm aware of. Autism. We now know na- nation- nationwide that the number is about one in 50 to one in 60 kids. We're at about one in five hundred to one in six hundred. We've had a few. I'm not gonna say that we've had none. We actually did for many years, but we've had a couple sprinkle in through the years. Um, but you know, let's face it, if we're at one in five hundred and the nation's at one in fifty, that's a big difference. That's a ninety percent reduction of of development of autism. So, you know, it's tough to know which of those many things that I do or God's good graces because I'm a kind guy and I'll take that too. But it seems very clear that the overall outcomes that we're getting with our patients is just so drastically different than what's happening in the rest of the world. So, you know, I I wear it with a badge of honor, but I'm still like, well, what is it? Do I really have to give everybody that many things in order to accomplish it? But I'm like, well, I don't have any evidence otherwise. So I guess I do.
1: Well, I think you had us at hashtag vaginal juices. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but and you answered this question we were just going to ask for parents looking to conceive or who are already pregnant. Do you really believe that autism-related disorders can be head off at the pass with proper testing, nutrition, and supplementation and juices? Yeah, <laughs>
0: that
1: was
2: great. That, yeah, that, that's, that's that, You know, I, I always am very selective in choosing my words. That is my experience over 20 years. And that's certainly the experience of other people who have started following this philosophy. Um, you know, I, since I lecture about the preconception to infancy approach at our maps conferences and other conferences and lecture about that, the taka groups, etc. cetera. Um, so I do, again, we're, we're seeing it and other adapters are coming about. I'll be, I'll be speaking about the role of, of hyperinflammatory syndromes during pregnancy um, and, the, and, and, and from a P2I perspective at the upcoming MAPS conference in March. Um, for those who don't, MAPS is the Medical Academy of Pediatric Special Needs. It was the professional group that moved out of the Dan movement um, that became doctor-led. Um, as, as far as that's so a Dr. Dan Rosnall, which many of you might know, he, um, he and I actually started MAPS um, out. He's now the kind, the kind of like the medical director of it. I'm still on faculty and speak at it, um, but a lot of the, most of the big names that you would have heard of are all part of our MAPS community. In
0: 2016, you launched the Holistic Relief, that's L-E-A-F, formerly named Family Medical Cannabis Clinic, to help qualified patients use medical cannabis as a treatment option. That is a whole lot to unpack with the limited time that we have, but one of the hottest topics nowadays, so we have to touch on it. How in the world did you become involved with medical cannabis? Okay.
2: Well, it actually, um, from an educational slash professional perspective, goes back yeah. to my first my freshman year in college. But not what you would think I was about to say. Okay, that's something different. Um, the very first paper that we were asked to write in my freshman year English class was we had to come write a letter to a congressman, senator, somebody in government official, um, arguing a controversial point. And I had been feeling well the legalization of, of marijuana when you come into account of taxation, purity, criminality, et cetera. I, you know, I what was supposed to be a three page paper became a seven page paper documented with citations for every line. Got my first and college. Um, and, um, and that was kind of the thing that really kind of set me in the right direction. Fast forward to approximately 93, um, 2003, no, 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 2013. Apologize when a, um, it, 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 the next kind of step happened. A f- child that I was taking care of who had a significant birth injury and um, up with cerebral palsy. You know, it was it was rough. And understandably, it was tough for the parents too. And the dad was, always just kind of had like a, a little bit of a grumpy kind of dismeanor to him. And uh, comes into appointment and he's like sitting over there right in that chair and it's just gr- grinning ear to ear and just being all light and affable that literally I turned to his wife and I'm like, what's with him?
1: Mm-hmm. And she said,
2: he started taking CBD. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he actually told me because he had owned a health, a, a health food store. And he had sourced this particular product for both purity and accuracy. Every single batch is independently tested and put on their website. So you can see exactly what they're getting. And so I'm like, you know, I read about CBD and I'm like, well, well, that sounds like a pretty amazing risk versus benefit stuff. So we started talking about it. Um, Soon thereafter in 2016 is when Florida passed its first law allowing for CBD. But back then it was very limited um, to just people with seizures, multiple sclerosis, um, terminally ill epilepsy, and one other thing. Um, So I wasn't even allowed to treat a lot of people with it. But then soon thereafter and by 2016 is when the broader sense came out and then soon after their THC. Now, I've seen so many amazing things happen using both THC and CBD. I always recommend people start CBD first. We know that there are concerns about THC when it comes to developing brains, and we want to be as little as possible, especially for the younger ones. However, in my clinical experience over the last five years, I have honestly say that I have seen the most amazing things using THC in kids with children, children with autism. Um, one of the things that came out, I think it was in 2018, if my memory serves, is that there was, so for those who don't know, our human bodies, actually every vertebrae and even some sub we all make cannabinoids and we all have cannabinoid receptors, okay? And the endocannabinoid system is a, is a, is a, is a, is a main to balance to create homeostasis in the body. If there's too much this way or too much this way, it pushes it back this way. Okay, that's what the endocannabinoid system, I kind of describe it like when we take our kids bowling, you know, when we, when we go, you know, I don't know about, I'm, you know, I'll end up in the gutter at least a couple of times in a 10-gate, but with the kids who put the rails up, if it goes too far left, too far right, pushes it back in the middle, you're not in the gutter. Okay, figuratively and literally, you know, in this case. Um, and so that's, that is how the endocannabinoid system works. Now, some people have either, are, have, are too much out of balance or don't make enough of it. So kind of if we had the ability, to, you know, but so if you took your kid bowling, if you threw a really bad ball, Or if you had like a big Indiana Jones um, boulder, it may not stay down the lane still. But if you had the ability to build bigger rails, then you have a better chance of keeping it in there. That's what the plant-based cannabinoids are doing. They're building bigger rails to keep things more in the middle. The CBD, what it does more of, although this is very, very um, basic, is it slows down the breakdown of our own natural cannabinoids, keeping them around longer in the synapse, wherever the inflammation, keeping it down. THC directly hits those same receptors in a stronger way than our natural endocannabinoids do. Now, a couple of years ago, the study that I was just started to talk about there um, had shown that people with autism had less circulating natural endocannabinoids made by the body than neurotypical kids. Okay, So it would make sense then that if CBD and THC is boosting that, you could, you know, and, and, and I think that probably the reason why the THC is so helpful in a lot of these kids is that if you're not making that much in the first place and you give them CBD, yeah, it may boost it, but it not, may not boost it a lot because if you're not, if you have not much to boost in the first place, how far can you get that? But since the THC comes in, it to me is almost like a replacement type of therapy, kind of like a person who doesn't have enough insulin can take insulin. The overwhelming majority of children on the spectrum that I have on THC, they do not act high, they do not act stoned. And I ask every single parent this question, because that's part of my introducing, because we always take a very similar to what I do biomedically, a very slow, steady approach, one thing at a time. And to observe, I tell a parent, hey, you know, thank goodness, you know, even if your kid drank a whole bottle of THC, you may have an interesting few hours in your hand. But you didn't break your kid. Your kid will wake up the next morning and it'll be as if nothing happened. Okay. So there's a great safety aspect there. So, um, and another really interesting thing though, just as general, CBD actually blocks the intoxicating effects of THC. So if I do see kids that are it, seem a little tipsy, I can increase the CBD and I can take that away. So there's like this balance between the two chemicals that we're able to, um, to work with that can make it really great. But my good, I, I mean, I have kids on the spectrum who are taking 50 milligrams of THC three times a day. Now, if you knew anything about it, that would get an elephant high. Okay. And then again, they're telling me, no, it doesn't. And some of it's because they're taking the CBD, but I have people who are taking no CBD patients with autism and just those higher levels of THC and they're not acting right. So it's, it's that's going to be one of the more interesting um, um, observations that I've made about that. Cause you would certainly kind of think the obvious, the, op- the opposite.
1: And without naming uh, patient's names, can you think of like a really um, just incredible example of an improvement that stayed um, with the continued use
2: Yeah, well, I I would certainly say, I mean, the most drastic is the seizure kids, you know, um, you know, which again, we know that especially during the second decade of life, that becomes quite a thing for people with autism. Um, But oh, my gosh, Um, I have seen people completely stop having seizures off of all their seizure medications. And it's phenomenal. Interestingly, I, you know, I see a lot of kids who have to, you know, come off of their stimulant medications as well. Now, this is where we get a little bit more complex into it when we start talking about sativa strains and terpenes. You know, I I can talk for about an hour and a half on just this one topic alone. Um, But there are certain terpenes which are more stimulatory in nature, whereas there's some that are more calming and sedating in nature. And those more stimulating ones, similar to a stimulant medication, gives kids more attention and focus. And people are like, so you're helping attention and focus with marijuana? You know, it just most people that went like, I mean, yes. I mean, you know, how you know, really I'm like, well, they're not asking me for their prescription for for their for their stimulant medications anymore, or they come back and they're like, Yeah, I'm off of it now. Pain medications also for again, not necessarily in the autism world, but for for people with pain. I mean, the fact that we're getting people off of oxycontin, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. But you know, so but what I really, really see the most in terms of people on the spectrum is as as really behavioral control and irritability. I have seen a few kids who have shown significant improvements in their communication skills. Those are kids who i who I found so far have really had some speech, but not yet functional or, or, or kind of plateaued. I have not seen a kid who has never spoken a word, start talking with it. I don't know that I would have expected it to, cause that's not how I, I you know, my understanding of the system that I wouldn't have expected that to, but I do have families who are coming. Yeah. He's communicating better. Yeah. He's listening better. Yeah. He's, um, able to be around other kids more he's just more calm he's not tearing the room apart he's not jumping all over the place he's not you know he's in and also on the social side you know and obviously we know one of the things that cannabis will bring and the reason why it is a recreationally used thing um is because it does make more people social right you know people want to dance people want to sing people want to be joyous people want to hang out and so um you know and and that's what i tell the family so you know you know and what i also differentiate is you know i say there's a difference between being stone versus being high. We'd all like to be high in life. Again, it comes back to the functionality, but if you find in the process that your child does want to sing and wants want to dance and wants to be more um, loving and hugging to you, love that. Wonderful. That's great. That's not wrong. One of the dearest stories that I've had, and this was with a very, very affected child. Um, pardon me, young woman by the time I, I got there. So she's 26 now. I think she was in her, her 2021 20, when I started with her. And she was, um, you know, wheelchair bound. And her, her family would always love, and she just loved hearing Peter Pan songs. And they, you know, and sometimes they would, you know, and and so, and so they were singing, you can, you know, I can fly, I can fly. And she just stood up out of her wheelchair. Now granted, and she just said, I'm going to fly. And then of course, very quickly that a very big plot on it, but it was just like, she got it. You know, I mean, there was a connection there, you know, and so, and so now, I mean, again, she would, she now, she loves dancing. They now know they have to hold on to her to do it, but they can get up they can dance with somebody. And imagine having for 20 years, never being able to do that with somebody. And then you can, you know, those little bit of nuggets in there. And for another family who doesn't deal with a child with autism, they may not get how important that is. Does you know uh, to, when a family you know I, I had a kid again and it wasn't cannabis related and this is a good fifteen years ago, who the mom said you know this is the first year of Christmas that he wanted to be involved with putting the tree up. He wow. was looking forward to the Christian and then it, and I'm gonna probably start crying now. Christmas morning for the first time he said I love you to this mom and again and like I mean like okay I'm, I'm keeping it in. Every time I tell the story it's 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 a tearjerker um but I mean from like joy and I mean it, the mom said if my kid never improves anything else beyond this just the fact that i had the connection with my mom that's the world you know and most parents take that for granted you know but when you don't have that and you get it it's it's just from heaven you know it's just it's it's just a rainbow landed on your feet you know and so just t- just to get those types of things and to have you know and you know it, it's just when i see these kids growing up and you know and, and again, going into high school and getting into college and stuff, it's just like, I got to pinch myself sometimes. Is this real? Am I in a movie? Do I have to wake up at some point? But it's a long movie. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I know, I know it's, it's remarkable how much things have changed. And I know the first time I read about the use of any kind of can, cannabis, CBD, any kind of form, um, I rolled my eyes. But then I actually stopped and paid attention. Um, what are some of the biggest misconceptions people have about the use of
2: cannabis? Okay. First thing is that it's not addicting. Okay, you cannot, there is no physical addiction to cannabis. Okay, so it can be used as needed. Now, there's a difference between dependence. And yes, if you stop it, a, a person won't do as well. But I kind of say, well, your kids, you know, if a kid's doing well on Ritalin or if a kid's doing well on Prozac, would you say your kid's dependent on it or would you say it's working, thank God? You know, and so that, that's probably the biggest conception is that people think it's, it's an addictive substance, which it's not, although it can have that dependence because it works better. You know, again, there's still a lot of research that needs to be done. What impact does it have on brain development? Because we do know that at young age, we know that there's issues, you know, with early use during teen years and cognitive abilities, etc. cetera, for some of which, you know, I, my discussion with that is, well, what is the alternative? We're trying to improve quality of life here and functionality, right and so if we're able to accomplish that and let's face it most people end up on cannabis when with their children with autism because of one of two things have happened number one they've been through lots of medications and they're getting and they've seen bad reactions or nothing's happened or number two they're just too scared to because they're just not comfortable putting chemicals in their body so you know i will still come back to please let's do cbd first Mm -hmm. let's see what you got you may not need to take any thc but just like you don't want to put a kid on Ritalin, but sometimes in the end you're like, well, I look at the big picture, you know, I spell holistic with the W because you look at the whole picture. And if in your child who is really hyperactive and unable to focus, if it turns out that we are, that we try a stimulant medication and all of a sudden he's able to succeed in life, that's a victory. I don't look at that as a defeat. You know, I know some parents who, especially in the more natural world, they're just like, it's a defeat if I put my kid on medicine. And I mean, that's your, that's your life and that's your truth. And I will never try to take that away from you, you know, but also as life goes on, things change. We think, things from different perspectives. So if that's something that you ever feel that you want to do and the same thing with cannabis, if that's something that you want to do in the future, it's on the table. Let's discuss it. But I don't take a dictatorial view to medicine. I most, I realize that most doctor-patient relationships is more of a monarch to peasant type of relationship. You do what I say and how dare you question me type of thing. I think that is so unserving to, us, to anybody, let alone our population. And I kind of have a do unto others you know, type of approach. I certainly don't want people treating me that way or my kids that way. So just to be able to work with family, I look at that I'm your partner, okay? We're teammates. I know a lot about the biochemistry and what to do, but you know a lot about your kid, and you're going to be the one who's going to have the instincts that has to know what to do, and you're going to be the one that's observing along the way. So maybe I'm taking more of a coach position, but you're taking the, you're my star quarterback and your kids my is, is, is the running back that we're handing off to, but we still need a good line. You know, we still need some receivers out there in order to, to spread it out a little bit because we can't just keep hand handing the ball off to him. So um, that's kind of how I look at it. It's a team approach. You know, it takes a village. We know how much we need support from others, whether in, in the community, in order to, in our families to be successful. So that's kind of just how my core philosophy has evolved.
1: And as a mom, if I'm new at this and I'm thinking, wow, is my child a uh, candidate for medical cannabis or over-the-counter CBD, that's what I'm looking for. Someone like you, correct, That where I can have that partnership.
2: Right, right. And also, so one of the things, although, so since I'm only allowed to certify people for cannabis in the state of Florida, but I do do consult, uh, cannabis consultations, actually worldwide now, um, but nationwide as well. So, you know, I were, you know, whatever is available to them, you know, and there are places where people get certified, but just those doctors have no clue what to do. Well, at least they're being kind enough to do it. So people will, will, so here, let me, we'll even do online shopping with them. Show me the dispensary and we can find the digital product that I can show you how to dose it. Here's how you look at the terpenes. Here's how you, how you bring it in. These are the things to look for. So, you know, I, I've kind of gotten to a place now where at least nine out of 10 times, if something's not going quite right or something could be better, I've gotten to a push. we like, tried this one this way, taking it that how, and I like nine out of 10 times. Now I can make things better. Just once I know how a kid's doing on it, which is kind of obviously something I didn't have the knowledge of five years ago.
0: Awesome. Where are we now in Florida? Um, what is legal? What is not
2: in Florida? It's all legal. Um, you know, the way that the state of Florida, and again, this is all in how the law is written. Okay. So in Florida, the constitutional amendment that was passed, there were nine diagnoses, epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, HIV, um, PTSD, among others. But then there was a 10th listing that said, and similarly disabling conditions. Okay. So what I did is I said, well, what are the debilitating conditions of PTSD? Panic attacks, irritability, anxiety, insomnia what are uh, parkinsons is one of them what are the what are the um, what are the debilitating effects of parkinsons inability to speak as an example right um, and so we found that pretty much between the nine diagnoses that were listed that Every single other diagnosis would fall under a similar debilitating condition to that. So that's how we do it. In fact, the hardest one that I found was ADHD. And then when I was doing my deeper dive into into HIV, there is actually something called HIV-associated neurocognitive disorder. The three top symptoms are hyperactivity, lack of attention, lack of focus. You know, like, oh, there's my ADD connection. So that's what I just have to do in every chart. And I say this patient has these symptoms, and, it's debil- and this is similarly debilitating to this qualified condition, that's why the patient qualifies. Not every state is like that, though. But they really, thankfully, the state of Florida, they really put this in the hands of the physician. And as long as we can justify it, mean, there's a lot of paperwork we got to do. Thankfully, we have it all electronically charted, so we have it pretty easy at this point. Um, took me many, many hours to write the programs. Um, but, um, but now, again, as, you know, they're, they're really, um, you know, that's the question. Do you have a debilitating symptom? What is it? Can we match it up? And that's how we go.
0: And this includes kids as well.
2: Absolutely. There's no, the only, the only thing that's different about children is that children are not allowed to get buds. So they're allowed to get vape cartridges, they're allowed to get orals, they're allowed to get edibles, um, but they're just not allowed to get the flower itself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that's unfortunate because a lot of people would like to juice it. You know, that's what I think it's totally fine. The, you know, they came up with the idea, which I understand because they don't want people smoking, they certainly want kids smoking. But I'm like, well, they could dry it or vaporize it, and that's no different than than um, than having a vape cartridge. In fact, maybe it's even safer because you're not putting oil into your body; you're just putting the actual cannabinoids in and the terpenes in. So, you know, I don't know that I'm going to win that one on the state level, but at least we have all the other things that are available to us that that seems to be really working well.
1: Awesome, Dr. Berger, this has been so awesome and so informative. It was so great to have you. We're definitely going to have to have a follow up episode or series, I'm just throwing it out there into the mm-hmm. world, and Ask Dr. Berger type show for parents. Our time is always so limited and there's so much time to, uh, so much to cover. We love, love, love having you. Thank you so much. Yes, thank Absolutely. you,
0: thank you, thank you.
2: Absolutely, and and I also am available through my educational consulting. That if uh, you know even for what we're talking about from a preconception to infancy autism, I can help educate. I can't order from outside of the state, but I can guide people on um on you know both if they're if they do have a doctor who is at least willing to order the tests that I can do that. There's also other ways that people are able to get tests. So um you know I just want to be able to help people. I my primary job is an educator. You know I, I use the science to help that, but at the end of the day, if I can't explain to you why and I can't give you know, the rationales not there, and I can't give you a plan as to how to accomplish it, then where we really haven't done the job that we need to do.
1: Love it. And we love our job, too, informing parents. So we're going to make sure that we have all of the questions that we posed, sort of like a little you know primer, and a lot of the buzzwords that you used in our show notes, as well as all the information that parents need in order to reach you, including your very informative blog, and I want them to follow you. Um, if they're not, they're kind of nuts. So...
0: thank you thank you but then again
2: aren't we go too (laughs) a little bit (laughs) a
0: little just a bit (laughs) yes well
2: hey i I consider myself a long time ago like i mean i'm not normal i mean i know that why be normal normal is boring
0: i know we are definitely not normal around here (laughs) and to wrap up to our listeners vintage and new we have officially launched on patreon Woo! dr (laughs) (laughs) Is, <laughs> is a tiered
1: membership program. It's a subscription service actually. Um it's meant to support all creatives like us um for as little as a dollar a month. As mm-hmm. you know, we work super does Dr. Brooker know we use super a lot? Super no he does not. It's our thing here super first time yeah. we see it. You bring
2: in the Calafragilistic after that.
1: Yes exactly so we work super hard delivering quality content most of it's free whether it's a podcast blog supper club facebook instagram pinterest twitter just the name of you your support goes a long way to help us keep this project going parents if you wish to join you can choose from different tiers depending on your desired level of support and or benefits which could be early access to episodes Blooper Reels, we didn't have very many today. What a bummer. No.
2: Oh, I could give you some great ones if you want. <laughs> let's, let's start it all over again. We'll, again, okay, push, push, push stop and rebook. Re-
1: known If I only would have known, I would have, you know, screwed this up a little bit more. But anyway, <laughs> behind the scenes content, live chats, merchandise, uh, discount codes, Patreon
0: outs, hey, ad space, and more. No worries. Podcast episodes will always remain available at no cost. The charge is only for added perks and exclusive content. In addition, we are relaunching our private parent Facebook group, available only to Patreon fans. So head on over to Patreon and check out our page. Thank you, Dr. Berger. Thank
2: you again. It was great. I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you.
0: That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Hey! Okay.